vulnerability, transparency is so freeing in so many ways. And I have to tell you that those shackles of shame have just completely been destroyed. And I know that God, the good Lord above, is the one that led me to this place. He never promises to deliver us from hardships, but he promises to deliver us through hardships. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I am here with Katie and Lindy, and we are your podcast hosts. Merry Christmas! <laughs> we hope that y'all have had a great Christmas, a great break, and that you are loving this week of nothing. I hope you have nothing <laughs> this week um, heading into the new year. And so today we are actually reposting a story from Lauren Sisler that we've loved, you've loved. And so you're going to hear at the end, it's actually our discussion from the original airing of this story. So today we're just here to tell you a little bit on the front end before we get to Lauren's story. And I will tell you this, if you are not a Patreon member, you want to join today because Amy Grody is doing a Where Are They Now interview with Lauren Sisler. And Lauren has had so many things going on in her life. She has had a baby, first of all. She has written a book that yes. she's preparing to release this next year. And I know you're just going to want to hear all about how she's juggling motherhood and being an ESPN reporter and just all the things. So if you're not a member, scroll down in our show notes and you can join today. Also, it's December 28th. You have a few more days for you year-end giving, and we would just humbly ask that you consider donating to our ministry. We are listener-supported, we are donor-supported, and all the money donated goes to us expanding our communities so that we can pour into the lives of women and we can help them write their stories. And then also, it's going to go in 2024 for Katie to be able to write a third Bible study. In the When God Shows Up series. And so if you would, would you just simply donate to our ministry? You can scroll down again. We've got a link. It's very simple. Click on the link and it will take you to our donation page. You can become a monthly ministry partner if you could just give $5, $10, $20 a month. Or if you could do a year-end gift, a one-time gift. We would really, really appreciate it. Also, these gifts go to help fund Things like the DYS workshop, which, Robin, you're about to do another one of those. Yes. So if you, maybe one of your goals for 2024 is to write your story. You know, you've heard 250 plus episodes of stories <laughs> and you find yourself wanting to do that. Well, this is your month on January 25th. I'm going to do a Discover Your Story workshop on Zoom. So click the link below to sign up to join us on January 25th at 6.30 p.m to work on your story and write your story. And here is Lauren. First of all, a, a tremendous honor to be on Storytellers Live. Robin is amazing. And we've had this conversation about making this happen now um, several times. And of course, had the opportunity to be live and in person at Vestavia Hills. And now the opportunity to just sit with you all and share my story and hopefully some encouragement, some hope. Uh, through my experiences and hope that I can lend that to you. I guess with the introduction, uh, you know, football season is upon us. <laughs> it came fast and it came furious, but here we are and so excited about it. Uh, as an ESPN sports reporter, I get the opportunity to be on the sidelines for many games, never know where I'm going to be every week. Uh, but one thing is certain, when I step foot out on that football field, the number one thing that I love to do and that has become a priority for me is I put my hand over my heart as the national anthem is playing, and I talk to God. I talk to God and ask him to give me the words and give me the platform to be able to share 
stories on that football field of the young men, the courageous men, the warriors, the fighters, the competitors that go out there, the men and the coaches and the athletes and the fans to give me the opportunity to share their stories and to impact some people's lives. Someone out there that is listening, and that is always my ultimate goal, and to have that opportunity to share that time with God as I look up into the sky and thank Him for the platform and the voice. I hope that I can glorify Him in that. And, um, you know, it's amazing how that has started to fill my spirit up. And it wasn't always like that as I've grown in my faith with God and my journey with Him. So, Let's hit the rewind button. Let's go way back in time because let's be real, you know, here I am, 37 years old. I didn't just have a mic in my hand and start this career of sports broadcasting. It's taken taken me a long time to get here and I still have a long way to go, y'all, because let's be real, ladies, uh, we're all a work in progress, okay? Let's just put that under our byline. That is our subtitle, work in progress, okay? So... Um, let me take you back to where I grew up. Uh, I do live in Birmingham, Alabama now, which I love Birmingham. This is like home for me. But let me tell you, so I grew up in Roanoke, Virginia. I was actually born in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Another story, but I basically was a Navy brat. And so uh, at, when I was a year old, we moved to Roanoke, Virginia. And uh, it was my mom and my dad, uh, Butch and Leslie Sisler, and my older brother, Alan. He's two and a half years older than me. And when I recall the memories of childhood, you know, just... The summers of of riding our bikes up to the local swim club and, you know, jumping off the diving board and having cookouts and just spending this time, this quality time with my parents. You know, my mom and dad were very active in mine and my brother's lives, always there for us, essentially making sure we were getting to practice every day. Uh, my brother was a three-sport athlete. It was football, basketball, baseball. And for me, believe it or not, it was gymnastics. And I know this is an audio-only version. But if you guys head on over to my social media accounts, you might see that I'm quite gigantic to be a, a gymnast, y'all. Um, five foot nine, yes, I stand five foot nine uh, with no shoes on. And many ask me, how did you do that? Well, you know, I leave that in God's hands. That was his plan for me. That's what he had 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 in store. And uh, it ended up working out pretty well, uh, you know, for me. So at an early age, I was rolled in the sport of gymnastics. My parents were like, this girl is so much energy. We've got to calm her down. So gymnastics became a sport that I fell in love with. I became invested in it. And when I was transitioning from middle school to high school, it was when I really had this idea that, you know, I'm not going to be an Olympian, not going to happen, but what about a college scholarship? And so I thought, wow, like maybe I, maybe I can go after this dream. And so I put my head down and I worked and I worked. And I just remember spending countless hours in the backyard, jumping on the trampoline. I had bars and balance beam out there. And I always loved that because my parents would be outside doing yard work and they'd always be kind of watching and almost judging me from afar. And I always wanted to like stick the landing and like, Hey mom, did you see that? Hey dad, did you see that? gymnastics was my first love. And I, I absolutely loved the sport of gymnastics and knew that if I just worked hard, I could get there. So I was commuting over an hour each way to practice every day, um, 20 to 25 hours a week. And when I was moving, transitioning from, I guess, junior to senior years, when I really started sending out those recruiting tapes and letting people know, okay, I'm here. Like, I want this. I want this bad. And so I um, sent out those recruiting tapes and several schools expressed some interest. Uh, NC State, UNC, West Virginia, Air Force Academy was on the list. Unfortunately, my SAT scores were a little too low for that. I think God's got other plans for me. So it all worked out well. Rutgers um, 
came on the radar and was very interested in offering me a scholarship. And it was just an amazing experience when the coach came over to me after a gymnastics competition in front of my mom and dad. And we stood there and she said, I'd like to offer you a scholarship to compete for us at Rutgers. And it was just an amazing moment. And it was like, wow, like all this hard work and not just my hard work, but the hard work of my family. My parents dedicated so much time. And I know y'all parents out there know money. The pocketbooks are always open, right? Cashing those checks, stroking those checks, you know, like, oh gosh, uh, you know, what other expenses can we happen upon here? But, you know, they they were dedicated to it and they were always my biggest cheerleaders and always lifting me up in my, um, you know, successes and always applauding me. And, and you know, also when when I struggled. So this was a, a, a monumental time in my life when I signed that letter of intent and went to Rutgers. And um, at this point, I'm 17 years old. Uh, I turned 18 uh, early in my freshman year at Rutgers. And I just remember the transition, you know, of course, high school to college. It's a little different. You got to kind of figure things out pretty quick. But I was loving it. And I felt like this was a place I could call home. I had my family. I had my teammates there. I had all these people surrounding me. And I felt like I had this close network of people. And I felt like I was exactly where I needed to be. Fast forward to my second semester. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make the grades, trying to keep up. And, you know, I, I'm doing pretty good. And I had this strong relationship with my parents. So even when I went off to Rutgers, I always had this communication. And I know some parents, I always hear them kind of over, overhear them talking like, I haven't heard from my, my son or daughter in, you know, days. And, you know, they must be living it up in college. Well, I will tell you, I stayed in contact with my parents because it was important for me to let them know everything that I was doing. And of course, my mom, she wanted a play-by-play of everything I was doing in gymnastics. It had to be like the specifics because she knew everything about the sport. I picked up the phone and called my parents like I always did and had a conversation with them. And I remember um, just talking to my mom specifically about this dismount I was working on in the gym and I'd been working on this new combination. I was so excited about it. And I had finally started to turn the page and kind of get healthy and felt like I was going to be a contributor on the team and was really excited about that. And then she handed the phone off to my dad and he was sitting on the couch, I guess, and watching TV about to go to bed. And, you know, he I remember he had just celebrated his 52nd birthday. And I had sent him a card in the mail because I knew my parents, um, you know, were having a, a little bit of financial troubles. And, you know, I just told him, I said, lean into God, like, lean into God, dad, lean into your faith, like he's going to get you through this, he's going to help you get through this hardship. But what I didn't realize is just how challenging both of my parents lives have become. So as I'm talking to them on the phone, I remember hanging up with our I love yous and said goodnight. And I remember setting my alarm clock, saying my prayers and drifting off to sleep that night. And uh, next thing you know, my my uh, phone on my desk is ringing in my dorm room. And I, I wake up abruptly and I look at the caller ID and it says home on it or, you know, had my home phone number um, on it. And I just had this like pit in my stomach of like, why are my parents calling me? It's just after three o'clock. Like what, what could possibly be wrong? I answer the phone with hesitation, take a deep breath. Hello. And my dad on the other end says, Lauren, I need to talk to your brother. And I said, dad, what's wrong? And he says, Lauren, I just need to talk to your brother. And he was very frantic. And I said, well, dad, what's wrong? He's like, I can't find his number anywhere. I just need to talk to your brother. And so I gave him my brother's phone number and hung up the phone. And about a minute later, I get a call back from my dad. And he said, Lauren, I couldn't get in touch with your brother. I said, dad, what's wrong? He said, Lauren, your mom died. I said, what? Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, 
how is this possible? Like, I just talked to mom. She's 45 years old, seemingly healthy. I don't, I don't understand. Like, dad, what happened? And he said, Lauren, I can't explain it now. I need you to call your brother, get on the next plane you can, and I'll be at the airport to pick you up. So I remember just sort of easing out of the bed and just being so uncertain of what life was going to become now without my mom in my life. But I knew I had to get home. That's all I wanted to do. I needed to get home. I needed to run and jump in my dad's arms. I needed him to tell me everything was going to be okay. And I knew my dad would always deliver that promise that everything was going to be okay. He was going to make everything okay. So I packed my bags. I remember my roommate um, and I, we got in touch with my friend. He drove us to the airport. I didn't have a car on campus at this time. My plane touches down in Roanoke. I get off that plane. And at this point, you know, my dad would have been traveling from our house, which was about 45 minutes from the airport. uh, And I had not communicated with him since that previous phone call. And so I go running outside and I look around and I look around and people are kind of milling around. And next thing you know, my uncle and my cousin pull up and get out of the car and I remember we hugged each other and my cousin grabbed my bag and threw it in the back of the car. And I remember getting in the car and I, I, I said, I just want to see my dad. And finally, my uncle looked at my cousin and I guess just stopped the car. He pulled over and I can still feel the gravel up underneath the car as I share this story. And he turned around and he looked at me and he said, Lauren, I'm sorry, but your dad passed away too. And I was just completely in shock. I couldn't believe that I was hearing those words. I couldn't believe that this was actually reality. Like I literally just 12 hours ago was talking to both my parents on the phone and then my father. So now not only is my mom gone, but now my dad. I'm 18 years old. I'm still trying to navigate this world. I'm a freshman in college. To be honest with you all, I I didn't even know how to write a check. I was still a child. I was still a kid. You know, my parents did a lot to sort of prepare me and my brother for you know, the next phase of our lives, but there were still a lot of key missing pieces. You know, I'm still a kid. And my parents were always like, focus on your schoolwork, focus on gymnastics, we'll take care of the rest. And so finances were never something that were at the forefront of my mind. And now all of a sudden, I am literally having to live on my own as an adult at 18 years old. How am I going to do this? And all that went through my mind in that moment was, This is my new reality. How am I going to live life without my two best friends? And I just didn't want to believe it was reality. And I, you know, I sat there and and the questions as the minutes and hours started to pass by started flooding me of how could this happen to me? How could this happen to my family? God, where are you? Why? 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 And I remember those questions would persist for not just hours, not just days, not just weeks, but years. Years and years and years of asking those same questions. Why me? How could this happen? God, where did you go? We're a Christian family. We would go to church on Sundays. I remember my mom and dad and I would sit down and Footprints in the Sand was always my absolute favorite poem. And we would read that poem and recite that poem often to each other. And how in this moment of darkness and this this terrible time could this happen to both of my parents? And you know, I asked those questions many times and, you know, in the aftermath, those next couple of weeks, we had to take care of things at the funeral home and figure out my parents' burial plans. And, you know, again, I'm 18 years old and and can't believe that I'm having to go through this process at such an early age, a young age, and you just never prepare for these things. I don't think you can ever be prepared. But here I am standing here at this intersection of life. And so 
making burial plans. And I remember uh, we buried both of my parents, laid them to rest. I guess two weeks went by since I had come home from Rutgers and was navigating this this new reality. And I remember walking into the garage and talking to my Auntie Linda, uh, my mom's sister, who is, I like to call her my Auntie Linda, my honorary mom, because she has really stepped into my life in such a, an incredible way and filled, uh, you know, just filled filled me up with so much love and unconditional love and helped me navigate this along with my Uncle Mike, her husband. And I remember just kind of looking at her and saying, all right, so what are we doing here? And I just thought I was going to stay home. Like, I'm going to stay home for a few months, like, take time off. And she looked at me and she said, Lauren, you have an obligation to yourself, your university and teammates. You've got to go back to school. You have got to go back to school. And so I knew then that was my only option. I'm going back to school. So I went back to Rutgers two weeks after laying both my parents to rest. And I remember it was an absolute roller coaster ride. I mean, I was an AB honor roll student. I was, you know, on the pursuit of perfection always. I mean, that's gymnastics, right? You always, you're always trying to achieve that perfect 10. Well, let me tell you, I was falling apart, um, just trying to stay above water. And, you know, my grades were slipping. I was struggling, uh, was staying, you know, I couldn't stay healthy, um, you know, was dealing with a lot of injuries in the gym and really a lot of kind of, um, you know, self-doubt. And, you know, why do I even have this scholarship? I don't deserve this. I'm not contributing to the team. I'm a hot mess over here. And so that persisted for about a year. And I'll never forget going home that first summer after my parents had passed away and standing in the living room of my house and watching this moving truck come up the driveway to my home and my brother and I standing there in the living room. And this woman jumps out of the truck along with these men. They walk into our house and within two hours everything in that house, boxed up, taped up, thrown on the back of a moving truck to be auctioned off to complete strangers. Everything I knew, every tangible memory I knew as a child was just evaporating before my eyes. And I think that's probably when reality really set in was that summer um, when I went back home and I just saw my parents and their belongings just disappearing in front of me. But life goes on, and I knew that I had to continue moving forward. So I go back to Rutgers. I continue. I continue to struggle. I continue to fail. I continue to just, you know, fight or flight. Like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And then the other voice inside my head would be, just keep going, keep going, keep going. And as I'm kind of pushing through all of this, about a year of this pity party continues, right? Because in my mind, um, you know, I know sometimes that idea of like a pity party sounds, you know, a, a little negative, but hey, We've all been there, right? We've all thrown ourselves pity parties. And let me tell you, it's across the spectrum. Like, I don't get the food I want in the drive-thru because they're out of it. I throw myself a pity party. Look, pity parties are much warranted um, in many cases. And I rode that wave for about a year. And I just was drowning in my despair, drowning in my sorrow, my guilt, my, my shame, my grief, my anger. And through that process, I just started to realize, like, okay, this is like the trajectory of my life. If I don't get my grades in order, I'm going to get kicked out of school. I get kicked out of school. I'm not getting a degree. If I don't get a degree, then where's my career going? And what is my life going to become? And I remember my gymnastics coach sitting me down and pretty much having kind of a heart to heart, but a tough love conversation with me. And you guys know about tough love. Sometimes tough love is something that is much needed. And in this case, I really needed it because I needed I needed to hear that everyone still believed in me and they were willing to give me that space and say, hey, we love you. We want to help you. 
We believe in you. We know you can succeed, but you have got to stand up and you have got to take the first step. And that's when I started to have this revelation like, oh my gosh, I have to take control. I have to regain control of this life that I'm living right now. Over the the course of time, I started to, you know, sort of change my eating habits. I was trying to get healthier. I was doing a lot more rehab in the gym. I started going to see a counselor, open up on my inner thoughts, the shadow and these clouds that were just on top of me, weighing me down, started to lift. And ultimately, I started to realize during this time period that the good Lord above was trying to tell me something. He was trying to teach me something. And through a lot of that period of time during college, as the person that was always the cheerleader in the family, we're going to get through this. God has got us. Well, I was the one during this time. Well, why is it different for me when, when I'm going through the toughest struggle in my life? Why would God not have me in this moment? Oh, easy to forget that, right? When it, It's easy to preach to other people. But in this moment and in this time when I was dealing with this with my parents, I literally had lost sight of God and lost sight. I didn't quit believing in God, but I definitely lost sight of the fact that he was the one carrying me through. So when my coach said, you need to stand up and take that first step, what I failed to realize is that God was carrying me. And so instead of standing up and taking that first step, let God ease me down. Let me take a step holding God's hand instead of him having to carry me through it. Let's let's take that idea. And now my vision of things started to shift. And I realized that God was carrying me all along and he was with me all along. I just failed to see that because I was angry. I was mad. No, I don't need your help. Uh, you, you, you deserted me. Um, you know, you let this happen to me. And it's just so easy to, we want to find someone and something to blame, right? I mean, that's, that's what we do. That's how we operate. And so as I'm going through this process, I'm realizing I got to get control of my life. And then things started to change for me. I started going to athletes in action and starting to kind of pour my heart back into God and into prayer and to realizing like, okay, like I can do this, but I ain't doing this alone. And I've got all these people and resources at Rutgers, but guess who put me there? God. God's the one that made sure I got to Rutgers. He was the one that put that family with me. He's the one that gave me that lifesaver because I can truly say my family and those people at Rutgers have been such a tremendous part of my life and and have truly been a miracle in my life and really helped me to stand on my own two feet again. And so as you transition out of college, many people, as you sit here and think about my career into sports and, you know, the direction I've been going, some of you are probably asking what happened to both of my parents that day that they died on uh, March 24th of 2003. Of course, it's a question I get a lot. And I didn't share that part of my story with you out of the gates when it happened, because truth be told, I didn't learn what had happened to my parents until much later in life, until several years after my parents had passed away. I never truly knew what happened to my parents because I refused to face reality. How many of you all have gone through struggles, gone through challenges and just said, you know what, I'm just going to run. If I run, I can ignore it. I can get away from it. I don't have to face it. Oh, by the way, that is a lot easier than just facing it head on, accepting it and saying, hey, this is is what it is. It is what it is. And now I'm going to use this to, you know, strengthen myself and to face forward and, and go forward boldly and courageously. But for me, 
it was a lot easier to just run from the truth and run from reality. I knew something had gone wrong that day that my parents died. I knew something was off and I didn't want to acknowledge it. And so it actually took me um, several years to begin to acknowledge to what happened to my parents. Uh, Seven years, in fact, before I actually sat next to my auntie Linda as she shared with one of my colleagues when I worked in Parkersburg, West Virginia in my TV career, what had happened to my parents that day. Because anytime something would come up, I would always resist. I would always fight. I would say, no, 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 that didn't happen. That's not, that's not true. So as I understood it, and when I went through that first seven years after my parents passed, I told people my mom died of respiratory failure. My dad died of a heart attack. Well, that sounded a lot better than my parents died of prescription drug overdoses. Because to me, there's a stigma that surrounds that. A stigma that surrounds addiction, substance abuse. I could never use the word addiction or overdose in the same sentence with both my parents because I felt their legacy was bound in my hands. And so I did everything I could do to preserve their legacy. And so if I didn't acknowledge what happened to my parents, I didn't accept it, then surely it's not true. I'm not lying. And yes, my mom did die of respiratory failure. My dad did die of, well, his heart stopped because he ingested a lethal amount of fentanyl and... His heart stopped and he had respiratory failure, just like my mom. But that just sounded so much better to me. And there's such a stigma and such a weight that sometimes comes with addiction and mental health. And when we are dealing and battling depression and anxiety, people don't want to talk about it. People don't want to address it. And I can assure you, I was one of those people. Sign me up, raise my hand. Here I am. I'm in that camp with every single one of you. And so it was easier to run from reality and people just wouldn't ask. Like they knew something was off. They knew something didn't sound right, but I'm not going to ask. Why ask? Nope. You know, we're going to move on from this. So with seven years, that was the first time I just let my aunt talk. I didn't shut her up. I didn't push her away. I didn't scream and yell and pitch a fit. I just let her talk. And there was something healing about that. said, okay, you know what? That's one step in the right direction. And then we land on year 10 when I actually was here in Birmingham, Alabama, working for the local CBS affiliate. The first time that I opened those toxicology reports, the very first time I opened those toxicology reports and on paper finally saw the truth about what happened to both my parents because I could not face the truth. And seeing that on paper was reality. This is medically what happened to both of your parents. This is what happened. This is what was investigated. This is what we uncovered. This is what we learned. Both of my parents had been going to a pain management doctor. Both of my parents had been struggling with chronic pain. My mom had degenerative disc disease. My father was dealing with chronic back pain. He had also uh, served in the military and, and dealt with some depression. They went to a pain management doctor. And over the course of about three years, They started to use that medication to medicate more, medicate more, and not only fuel their chronic pain, but to fuel their addiction. But they did such a good job of brushing it under the rug, sweeping it under the rug so nobody could see it because they were too shameful and too prideful. So, oh, by the way, I inherited that same shame. I inherited that exact same shame because I was terrified of what people would think. If people knew that my parents died of drug overdoses, maybe they would think that I'd fall into those same behaviors. Maybe they thought it was a character flaw of my parents, and maybe I've inherited those those same character flaws. Those are the things that we tell ourselves when it comes to these stigmatizing things that society puts on things. Labels. We label people. We label things. Y'all, it's time to rip off the labels. 
And I will tell you that was the beginning of the process of me ripping off the label. But truth be told, my process of of healing and growing through this started the day that my parents died. And I think that's one thing we always try to find this timeline and how did, how did this happen? How did this happen? You know, what can I do to get better? How do I get past this? How do I move past these emotions? And sure, you know, I can sit here and, and, and courageously talk about my story, boldly share my story, but it took time. It took a lot of time and a lot of healing, a lot of prayer, a lot of faith, a lot of hope to know that better days were on the other side. And I think that when I read those toxicology reports, it hit hard, but it also was a point in my life where I said, you know what, this is what happened, but I don't love my parents any less. I don't feel any differently about my parents. And one thing that my aunt always reiterated to me, she said, Lauren, your parents aren't defined by how they died, but by how they lived their lives. And that's now the torch that I feel like I can carry on for others. I can carry that torch on and realize that I'm going to stand here in all my glory and bask in all my glory, good, bad, and ugly, y'all, because we've got, we've got, some, we've got some blemishes. That's what makes us human, right? But I can stand here and stand in faith and know that my parents are standing next to me and God is standing on one side of me. My parents are on the other side and they are allowing me this opportunity. He is allowing me this opportunity. My parents have given their blessing on this opportunity to share their story because there is no shame in this. There is no shame in the struggle. You got to honor the struggle, right? Because when you go through this point in your life You're going to find challenges no matter what it is that you faced, whether it is a family member that's struggling with addiction, depression, anxiety, maybe suicidal thoughts. Maybe you've dealt with divorce or, uh, you know, infidelities. We are all flawed and we all face challenges. And I think on the outside, we paint this beautiful picture, our social media accounts. Oh, wow. She's the dancing girl on the sideline. Yeah. Like she has a great time in life, right? Life is great for her. But It took me a long time to be able to dance through life. It took me a long time to get to that point where I could say, you know what? This is me. This is all of me. And I'm going to, I'm going to shout it from the rooftops and let everyone see every piece of me because I think vulnerability, transparency is so freeing in so many ways. And I have to tell you that those shackles of shame have just completely been destroyed. And I know that God, the good Lord above is the one that led me to this place He never promises to deliver us from hardships, but he promises to deliver us through hardships. And I can truly say that he has been such a critical part of my growing process, my healing process. And while I wasn't always talking to him and I wasn't always acknowledging that he was there, he was there all along. He had his hand on my shoulder, you know, rubbing my shoulder and and, and telling me it's going to be okay. It is truly Amazing when you know that you have someone, some divine spirit there next to you at all hours of every single day. It truly is amazing. And I'll tell you, as I, as I close things out, I went back to Rutgers uh, just a couple months ago. I had the opportunity to visit my old stomping grounds. I, I visited with my coach and my trainer, Crystal and Kathy, and with some of my teammates. And When I was done with lunch, I remember just thinking to myself, you know what? I want to go tour campus, like just me, myself, and I in my cell phone so I could take some pictures. And I remember I hit up all the, all the spots, the local hot spots, my favorite restaurants, my favorite ice cream place. And then I went back to my old dorm my freshman year. And I remember just sitting there, taking it all in. And then something just told me, Lauren, go, 
go talk to them and see if they'll let me into my old dorm room. School had already let out. And I remember walking into, you know, front office area. And as I started to open my mouth and say, hey, you know, I used to live in this dorm. Would it be possible if I, the lady's already shaking her head and I was just devastated. And these tears just erupted out of me. And I started to tell her my story. I started to explain to her that I was working on a book, which has just opened my eyes to so many things. And it's really what kind of led me back there to say, you know what, let's go face this place in my life, this chapter in my life, this milestone, this, this, this piece of me, that freshman year dorm room where I received the call that night from my dad. It's a part of my life. It's a part of, while tragic and sad, it's also a pillar in my life that holds so much hope and strength. And when I went back in that dorm room, because she looked at me and she said, you got me crying now. So she told the guy to get the key. Let's go upstairs. I remember hitting that hallway, coming off the elevator, and it smelled just like it did 20 years ago. I walk in that room, and I kid you not, the furniture was exactly the same. And I'm like, first of all, this furniture was already ancient when I arrived in 2002, and it's still there. That's terrifying. But I remember sitting in that desk, and I looked out that window, and I just remember thinking to myself, wow, I'm here now. I'm taking this in. I'm soaking in this moment. And I can tell you five years ago, 10 years ago, I never would have gone in that dorm room and felt the feelings and emotions that I did that day. And I knew as I was sitting in that dorm room that it was almost like I had this flashback of all these memories from my life the last 20 years and all this growth and this this amazing feeling of healing and realized that you know through this process and through all the work that's been put in and you know, going through counseling, going through therapy, leaning into family, leaning into God, that he ultimately gave me the healing power and is using my story for much greater things, using my story for a purpose. I can tell you that I don't stand on that sideline at ESPN out of pure talent. That ain't the truth. I'm on that sideline because he put me there. I'm on that sideline because I have the opportunity to share stories. And it wasn't until I unlocked those shackles of shame and realized the truth in my story and the power in my story that I could use that to shape and help other people in their stories. And so why are we here on Storytellers Live? To tell our stories and to be a vessel and a beacon of hope for others because your story matters and you matter. And uh, I just want to send all of you out there my love. I'm envisioning you now watching, listening, meditating on this. Hopefully you've taken something positive from it. I just, I just personally want to share my love with you and just let you know that you are going to get through this. You are going to get through whatever it is you're going through and you're going to come out on the other side and you're going to feel blessed. You're going to feel hope. You're going to feel redeemed and you're going to be able to use your story to make an impact on someone else's life. Much love y'all. I just love Lauren. I loved I, I love just her transparency and vulnerability, like I said at the beginning of this episode. As I listen to her story, I first of all can't imagine. I cannot imagine walking through that at the age of 18 years old. So I'm amazed at that. I love how she was able to look back at the details and see how God showed up. But one of the things that just really stood out to me was how she spoke about, you know, I was caught between this thing of I can't do this to just keep going, just keep going. And I think so often 
we just have this mindset of, I've got to get through this. I've got to get through this day. I've got, and, and we put it all on our shoulders, just like she was. We don't invite God into that struggle with us to help us get through that hardship, like she said. And we just keep going. Yeah, we just you know, push. We, we just push, push through. Mm-hmm. We just push through. And I do, me. I just appreciate, I appreciate her coach that had to say, look, you've got to get healthy. That's a hard conversation to have with an 18-year-old that just lost both her parents. Yeah. But it put her on this trajectory, I think, of, okay, I, I do need to get healthy. And part of that started with her spiritual health of looking to what God had given her. And that was, you yes, know, with the Rutgers. when she said, God is the one who put me at Rutgers, yes. and that that was a gift, it, it just showed just the character of God that he mm-hmm. is sovereign. He is working in the details of our life, yeah. which is which is such a buzz phrase around here. Storytellers. Right. Right. But it is absolutely true. Story after story, if you're able to reflect back, even when you think he is not working, mm-hmm. even when you think there's no way he can get me through this. Mm-hmm. He can and he will. But it does take that release of, okay, Lord, I'm giving this to you and I'm surrendering yeah. this to you. I, I feel like I was listening to an ESPN 30 for 30. I mean, she's just easy to listen <laughs> yes, to. Yeah. It's true. She's so easy to listen to. She's she's our friend and she's your friend. And you know, Lauren shares also that it took seven years. Mm-hmm to even be able to look at what happened. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you think that that coach that year when she was 18, Mm -hmm. she kind of got it together. She didn't. And she was very clear, as you can imagine, if this was your story, this is a very, very, very long process. And so God never left her side. But one of the things that I really took away from this was her struggle with shame. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the title. Yeah. And and I think that's where so many of us can relate. We may not have probably very few have lost both parents at once, but we have all had something in our lives where we're dealing with shame. Mm-hmm. And where we carry that, she was carrying her parents' shame. Mm-hmm. We carry those around us, whether it's our kids or whether it's our family spouse, whatever, it's so easy for us to pick up that shame and just hold on to it. But that's not who God calls us to be. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear her say as she went through the struggle and she she went through a grieving process for a very long time that she learned how to release it, mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. to let God take the yuck, take the bad and walk in full freedom. And it's right. a perfect story yeah. of who and, we and are. And it's so funny because as I, I think so often Satan makes us think, oh, hide it, hide it, hide it. That's right. Yeah. You know, and that's that's where you're going to find freedom is by hiding it. But yet the more you share, and we've had many storytellers that have spoken about this, the more they share their story with others, the more freeing it actually is. That's right. The more healing that comes. Mm -hmm. And we are not the decisions of our parents. We are not the baggage of our family. We are not the decisions of our children. And and as women, (laughs) and and certainly in Lauren's situation, that shame, which was completely from Satan, was really binding her. And so for her to to have that freedom of coming through it. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing that I love too about that, uh, Lindy, is that she's not only, God's not only using that to heal her, but she is using her story to heal so many people Mm -hmm. as she shares on all of these different platforms because God has put her in this position of an ESPN reporter. You know, as Lauren and I were recording this story, and then you'll hear, we talk about it in a little bit, we actually recorded a Patreon episode Mm -hmm. as well. And we talked about this a little more, but her hope is for those of you that are struggling, all of us that are struggling, 
to reach out to her. To, you know, when we do stories, that's our goal mm-hmm. is for you to find hope in Jesus through this story. And Lauren so graciously said, DM me and I get back yeah. to you. So if you're hearing her story today and you are relating in some capacity, we know that addiction is a very real, very common thing that lots of people walk through. Mm-hmm. And if you hear her story today and Jesus has given you a glimmer of hope, she gave you permission to DM her on social media. I also want to encourage anyone out there that might be struggling with addiction to please confide in someone. Please bring light into your situation and just take that small step of getting help. And I hope this story has encouraged you maybe to to get brave and, and just take one small step to get help. And I'm so thrilled that we're actually offering that story within the story for everyone tomorrow. Um, So look in your uh, podcast feed. It's not just going to be for our Patreon members, but for everyone. Robin, it's a great story within the story. I loved it. And I think that you guys who have now heard Lauren's story are going to get so much more out of it as well. Well, y'all, we're we're so happy to be back. Mm -hmm. We hope that you're happy to be back listening, that Lauren is your new friend Mm -hmm. along with ours. And We're already excited about next week's story. So if you are new to us, we are on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Storytellers Live Podcast. You can check out our website at StorytellersLive.org. And we're thrilled that you're here. And we cannot wait to talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.